welcome to Stirring the Pot podcast, a podcast all about discussing controversial food subjects, historical aspects of food, and pretty much everything else food and cooking related. Once again, let me introduce my co-host. First up, we have Mr. Barbecue Brand, an aficionado of all things barbecue, and a recently featured guest on Food Network's Barbecue USA. Welcome, Barbecue Brand. What is cooking, everybody? It's your boy, Barbecue Brand. So happy to be here. Let's get things started. Next up, we have Mr. Brandon D., a connoisseur of Louisiana and Southern cuisine and a self-proclaimed food science nerd. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, uh, to the podcast. Uh, let's get this thing started. We got a lot to cover this episode. I am your host, Casey P. I'm a baking and cooking enthusiast and a lover of all Southern culture, history, and cuisine. Tonight's topic is the second part of our gumbo series. Tonight, we will discuss the different aspects of the two most popular gumbo types, roux gumbo versus okra gumbo. We will also take you through steps that go into making both, a virtual gumbo, if you will. I will open the discussion with something that maybe is the most overlooked part of this process, your cooking vessel. Very important, very important topic, cooking vessels. You have many options of cooking vessels, cast iron cooking vessels are real popular, enamel cast iron, stainless steel, aluminum, non-stick surface. There's all kinds of options you can choose. In my opinion, your best options are gonna be cast iron, enamel, cast iron, or stainless steel. I think those will give you the most heat control. They tend to uh, hold heat the best. That's my opinion. I really like using cast iron enamel. I love my cast iron as well. I feel like whenever cast iron gets hot, it stays hot. Right. It's going right. to continue to get hotter if you still have it on the heat. So that's right. I feel like I control my, my heat a little bit better on cast iron enamel. You know, mm -hmm. I can control the color of the roux that I want to get a little bit better. It, it all It's all a process. Right. I agree. I mean, you have your traditional stock pots that are always a good option depending on how much you're making it depends on how big a pot that you need i think enamel cast iron is a very good vessel for making gumbo like you said it holds that heat it's easier to control especially if you're using a glass top range which is my arch nemesis <laughs> right and one thing you definitely want to don't want to use you don't want to use any type of non-stick cookware for making roux it tends to be too thin it's a, usually an aluminum pot with a non-stick coating even though the ceramic non-stick coatings are really nice now i just don't think it's a good option for making roux the pot heats up too fast and you you get out of control so you want something that heats up a little bit slower, holds the heat, because you want to be able to control this heat. And I think cast iron, uh, cast iron enamel or stainless do a better job. The uh, this cast iron hold heat better because they're heavier. So in order to make the pot as strong as it needs to be, the cast iron needs to be thicker than stainless steel. Stainless steel being a stronger material can get away with a thinner a thinner body. So you don't have as much weight. So the, the advantage of the stainless steel would be it's just a little bit lighter. Either of those three are great options for doing it, and you should feel absolutely comfortable using those types of pots. And I feel like it, the depth does matter when it comes to your pot, but I find that having a maybe a more shallow but bigger pot, like wider pot, I prefer that than versus like trying to dig in a big old stock pot because, you know, I'm a little yeah. bit vertically challenged. So yeah. it's hard for me to get, get in there and scrub <laughs> on the bottom sometimes if it's a big pot. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. tall and I still would rather a wide bottom pot to do yeah. that. It's just, it allows you that, that, that wrist action a little bit <laughs> easier, you know, you just kind of. Right. But then you run into like evaporation issues when it comes to those kind of pots versus a tall stock pot. So there's challenges with both types. So right, right, yeah, a, a, a shallow or a wider pot, you're gonna have evaporation. But since we're just making roux, you're not gonna really, you're not gonna really have any evaporation problems. So I'd say for this, you wanna, you wanna skillet nine to twelve inch, nine to fourteen inches is good. And yeah. what's uh, what's really important is that you don't make too much roux in your vessel. You never want to exceed half the volume of the pot. When you're making roux, it's very, very hot. You're talking three seventy-five up to four hundred degrees. And it's extraordinarily hot and it's an instantaneous third degree burn. You don't want to be moving roux around too vigorously. You want to move it nice and slow, 
in a controlled manner. Otherwise, if you right. splatter yourself with it, you're really going to hurt yourself. It's going to yeah. be a very serious burn. It's not so, going to be a fun night for you. No. So you want to be able to be able to scrape down your sides easily. And you don't want to be you don't want to be anywhere close to the top because you're going to have to move this quite a bit. And if you're moving a large volume and, and you're close to the volume, you're really risk splashing on yourself. So I'd say make sure you keep your volume about, uh, I'll go less than half. You want, you want, you want a good amount of space in that pot to do your room. Yeah. It's not something that you just, you know, whipping really fast. You just, no. you, you're moving it, you know, you're moving it, right. but you are, you know, moving it slowly, just constantly. Yeah. Right. That's, that's right. I heard today on the radio, but with Willow, Willow Smith. I oh, whip your hair back. Yeah. <laughs> it gets on your skin. You're going to be, you're going to be in a world of pain. It's going to hurt. Oh yeah. yeah. Just, just make sure you don't listen to that song that, that Casey was talking about yeah. while you're making your room. <laughs> you might not want to dance. It's like when you listen to, you know, to, to really upbeat music when you're driving, you know, 10, 15 miles over the speed mm -hmm. limit. Right. Know. No, you need to listen to some Silk Sonic or something whenever you're making hey, this room. Hey. Yeah. Make, right. make, Make a little love to that pot. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, let's go into part one, I would say, of this discussion. We're going to jump into roux-based gumbo. Let's talk about getting your roux started. Let's talk about the rules of fats when it comes to starting your gumbo and making that roux. So here we go. Rules of fats. Let's go. So what I've done is done like a roux color chart. Got a little typo there. With a sensor. See, I was talking about making love to the pot earlier, and he had to censor oh, yeah. some stuff out. That's what's going on. Let's try this again. Okay, so so what do we have is we have colors one through seven. Seven being your darkest, one being a white roux, which we use like a bechamel. Seven being like your really dark roux, pretty much as dark as you can get without burning. So as you can see, for our lighter roux, one through four, we can use butter to make these. You can only go so dark with butter before you start burning the milk solids in the butter. So for these lighter roux, you can use butter. But once you get to darker roux, you're going to have to use oils and animal animal fats, like a tallows or any type of oil. And for the absolute darkest roux, you're going to need to use high temperature oils, avocado, peanut, rice bran, canola, safflower, or soy, and soybean, which is also called vegetable oil. My personal recommendation is avocado. That's got the highest smoke point of about 520 degrees. And uh, butter is, has a much lower smoke point. So for these real dark roux, you need to use a really high temperature oil. For these, all the other real, you can use high temperature oils for any of these roux, one through seven. But really for these really dark roux, you need to use a high temperature. And for but butter, butter is a good choice for these lighter roux and any other animal fats. You can... You can make pretty dark roux with animal fats, but I, I think you can run you run the risk of scorching a little bit when you go to this this really dark roux. So, yeah. That, so it looks like the uh, like your high temp oils are a little bit more flexible depending mm -hmm. on correct, the level correct. of of roux you want to get. So I have a question: Can you make a gumbo with butter? Uh yeah, yeah, you can. I, I, that's actually really popular in New Orleans. They don't make dark, super dark roux. And they'll mm -hmm. use a butter root to make a gumbo. So you can you can get it pretty brown. As dark as you can brown butter is about as dark as you can get your root. But it, you do run the risk of burning it if you go too far on it. So really what I recommend is an infrared thermometer. And that way, if you know your smoke point of your root, you can use an infrared thermometer to track the temperature of your root. And if you know you're not exceeding that, you know you won't be burning it. So, mm -hmm. Gotcha. So... From coming from someone who browns a lot of butter with baking, <laughs> um, that four looks looks awfully dark. It's like danger zone right there. I was gonna say that. I'm like, you know, with that four, I'm pretty sure you can achieve that. But right. if, if you're doing that with butter, you better be careful. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna have to be real careful. And then once again, this scale is this is the best I could come up with you know, using Microsoft Paint. So I can approximate the color. It's more of a representation than an actual yeah. accurate picture of the of the color of the roux. So yeah. it's just yeah. saying going darker from light to dark. Yeah. You yeah, know? that's it, that's, a, that's a good point because yeah. sometimes things relative. are... Yes, yeah. Sometimes things are more of a sliding scale or ratio than it mm -hmm. is a written in stone type thing. You know, it's a, it's a guideline, right? The thing about a butter roux, if it's burned, you'll smell it. It, you'll oh smell, yes! You'll smell the burn. It'll 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 smell very acrid, and you know it's bad. So these are kind of like the best kind of colors I could come up mm -hmm. with on the scale. Uh, 
is it is it, I wouldn't I wouldn't print this out and put it next to your roux and and use it as a guide. So it's just kind of a relative scale, just yeah. to show the colors of it. And and just to let everybody know from trial and error with me, they have these new like country crock avocado butter sticks. You you can't brown that butter. No, <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> That's trial and error right there. If you're gonna brown butter, make sure it's real butter. Uh, as far as butter roux, I, I, I don't use butter roux. When I make etouffees, I use a butter roux and I probably go to like, I'll say a number three or something <laughs> like that. Would we call a peanut butter roux? That's, that's mm -hmm. really like my target for etouffee. I'll use a butter roux for doing number three for an etouffee. Uh, gumbos, I'm usually floating between five and six, uh, usually more around the five area for chicken and sausage. For seafood, you can, seafood is the one you want to go darker on. So you can hit mm -hmm. like a number seven, but once again, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky to hit that, that really dark color. The one thing, other thing we can talk about is the ratio of flour to oil. Personally, when I'm making roux, I use a one-to-one -one because it's the safest ratio to use. So if you use one-to-one, -one, you run the least risk of burning. It's the easiest roux to pull off. So if you, the more oil you use, the easier it is to cook. The less oil you use, the more possibility you have for scorching it i like the one-to-one -one ratio it's mm -hmm. um it, you're right it is safe my roux that i make now are a little bit less than that i i will have more flour than i have oil um mm -hmm. just because I, I i felt that when i made the one-to-one -one ratio i did have uh some oil that that you know that didn't or some fats depending on you know what i'm using didn't you know bind with the flour as mm -hmm. much but mm -hmm. that's not super important you can absolutely no, just that that just comes with being more of a veteran of cooking you just know those things you you know how you want your dish to look and how you want it to like ha what mm -hmm. mouthfeel you have for that so when you right. taste your gumbo juice or your stock, whatever you want to call it, you know how you want it to taste. You know how you want it to, to feel in your mouth. You're not gonna, that early on, you're not gonna really have much of a, a, a real flavor profile because you're still trying to cook that roux down, to cook all that stuff together. Right, and, and for the one-to-one, -one, if you use a one-to-one, -one, I recommend that you just, if you let the roux cool, let's say you make your roux and you're getting your stock ready, you let the roux cool, all you have to do is wait for that excess oil to float to the top and pour it off. That's that's it. So you, that's if right. the oil floats to the surface, you don't need it. It's not going to incorporate. So you can just pour it off and throw mm -hmm. it away. Yeah. This is before yep. you add all your stock and everything. Yeah, this is right. This cooking is, your roux. Right. Right. Then we're just talking about cooking roux. So if you make it a one-to-one, -one, let it sit. Uh, you know, once it cools down, keep stirring it till because the gumbo, the roux is going to continue to cook as you turn off the heat. So you keep stirring around. Let that oil float to the top of you using a one-to-one, -one, and then you could just pour it off. It's of no use to you, so just pour it off and use that roux after that. So that that kind of jumps us into the rules of cooking roux on the stove or in the oven. I know my dad cooked in cooked roux in the microwave. I will yes. never forget the, forget the smell of that burnt <laughs> roux. <laughs> One of those darker brown glass Pyrex dishes. Mm. It was the the roux cooking vessel for the microwave. And I will never forget that smell. So what is your take? I know the traditional way is to cook it on the stove. But I know, like my mom, will cook it in the oven. She'll make a bigger batch where she'll put a bunch up where she doesn't mm. have to cook it every time she wants to cook a gumbo where she has like a jar of homemade roux ready to go. What do y'all take on that? You know what? It depends on time. <laughs> do you have time to stand over the stove and make a roux? Do you want to do that? Then do it. Right. Do you want to make it in the oven? Make it in the oven. It's not going to matter. No. Um, no. It doesn't require, like, if you do it in the oven, it doesn't require as much attention. <clears throat> you cook in low and slow for a long time. And, yeah, exactly it's probably... The easy, the lazy way. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. I, so the other day I was playing around with some, some beef tallow that I had and I wanted to make a roux and I was working that day. I had a couple of meetings. I didn't have time to stand over the stove. So guess what? I made my roux in the oven, went back right. and checked on it every 15, 20 minutes, making sure yeah. it wasn't scorching, yeah. stirred it around a little bit, put it back in the oven. Right. Easy. Right. I, I wouldn't call that the lazy way. I call it the more efficient way. <laughs> It's it's definitely the way for making larger batches. If you're making right. a lot of roux, then do it in the oven. If you're making a little bit of roux, you can do it on the stovetop. Although I say both techniques should be in your wheelhouse. Be able to do oh. both ways. 
you know, so you can do it on the stove or in the oven. But one thing I, I highly don't recommend the microwave at all. That's it's that's extraordinarily dangerous. You're dealing with very, very hot temperatures and Pyrex can crack, you know. So if you let's say you're, you're taking your uh, your bowl out, you know, you have your Pyrex bowl you're in the microwave, you're heating it up and you put it on the counter and you have a little bit of water on your counter and you go ahead and crack your bowl. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of hot roux spilling all over the place. I would not recommend this method at all. No. Like I say, if you want to try it in the oven, it's super easy in the yeah. oven. Like you say, just a 20 minute timer, just every time you put it in 20 minutes at a timer, 20 minutes check, 20 minutes mm. check, and it's super easy. Yeah, pretty much forget that we talked about cooking roux in the microwave. In the, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's just say. Let's let's do it. That's yeah, a good don't, idea. Don't, don't fish, do it. We, the official we, stance of the stirring in the pot podcast is never to cook roux in the microwave. No, <laughs> no, because you know why? It's especially because a lot of people that that do things in the microwave. So we have a saying in barbecue: whenever we cook it hot and fast, we call it needles up. So <laughs> if you ever look at your at your temperature gauge on a barbecue pit, needles up is running right around three hundred degrees. Right. People people cook needles up in on in the microwave yes. they don't they don't mess with that power level they don't know how to use nope. it so <laughs> don't for, if you've never right. touched a power level never cook roux in the, in the microwave <laughs> that's so that's a very very solid point <laughs> yeah extraordinarily absolutely. good advice and, and once and once again the darker you go on this scale we're looking at the scale again that dark roux is gonna that's gonna be a long cook times roux it takes a long time to cook that roux that color and also going to take a long time to uh, to cook that roux in your gumbo. We talked about rules of cooking roux. What about adding vegetables to your roux when you're starting your gumbo? Like let's 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 walk through that process. Well, that, that that's actually a good method. It's a, if people will add their onions and pepper to their roux when they're feeling, it actually stops the cook. So if you if you shut the heat off on the roux and add those vegetables, that'll actually freeze your cook. So you're you're not cooking roux anymore. It's going to stop it from cooking. It's going to caramelize your vegetables. It's actually, it's actually a pretty good method. Now, what it does change is you can't store that roux after you do that. So if you're making a lot of roux for other gumbos for later dates, that's not a good method to use because once you do that, the roux won't keep as long as it would in a refrigerator without the onions. But if you're making gumbo roux for just one gumbo, then by all means, feel free to use that method. I think it's an excellent way to get your vegetables, get a little cook on your vegetables, get a little caramelization too. So my next question is something uh, me and Brandon do not see eye to eye on. How do you measure your already cooked roux? Like when you want to start your gumbo, how much roux do you use? Because <laughs> we always have the argument over, I think you're putting too much roux in this because <laughs> I'm sensitive to roux. So I like a, a lighter, I guess, weighted gumbo. I don't like it to be super thick and, and heavy. If it comes like for root barbecue brand, what is your take on this? Maybe you could be <laughs> the, <laughs> the peacekeeper. You know, I'm, I'm not going to even lie to you. I don't have a ratio. I don't have a ratio. It's just whatever the consistency looks right. right. You know, so let's talk a little bit about what, what roux actually is, right? So we are taking fats and mixing it with flour. And what that's doing is, is it's taking, the fat is coating the starch molecules in your flour to make sure that your proteins don't stick together. They kind of slide past each other whenever you add in your stock in to make your gumbo, right? And it, and it gives mm -hmm. it some, a more viscous quality. It makes it a little bit thicker. Whenever you add in your stock in, you know, you, you check to see if you got enough and you know if you need to add a little bit more you add a little bit more mm -hmm. you know it just all depends on preference it's, at that point that's just i think that's up for debate oh yes it's definitely a hot debate in this house <laughs> right so the ratio that I've, I've heard used and i try to follow is it's three quarters of a cup to one cup per gallon of of gumbo so if you have a three gallon gumbo you're going to need three cups of root so that's the general rules you, <laughs> you, it's oh, a general yeah, you can just a general rule for uh, gumbo. That's the general rule for it. It's about a cup a gallon, three quarters of a cup if you want a little bit lighter. But the, the trick of it is, is you can thin a thick gumbo, but you can, it's really hard to uh, thicken a thin gumbo. Yeah. So if you make it a little thick, if you leave some space in your pot, never cook a four gallon gumbo in a four gallon pot. Cook a smaller gumbo. So that way you have some head space. So you can always adjust with hot water. 
Because when you cook roux, what you're doing is like you said, you, you're coating those starch molecules in, in fat. You, what you're doing when you're cooking roux is you're making a colloidal suspension. So you're suspending insoluble particles into water, fat and oil, in fat and starch into water, and you're making a colloid. It's an emulsion. So it takes time to form that. So if you, if you end up with one that's too thin, to thicken that up, you're going to have to add more roux, but you're going to have to cook it longer. So you're going to increase your cooking time. So there's ways to cheat it, and there's you know you can you can actually separate it and cook a small volume of water with roux and actually cook it much quicker. But you also run the risk of scorching it. It's very very easy to burn. The way I look at it is if you if you're on a little on the thick side, as long as you have some space in your gumbo to thin it out. You know, you can always add hot water. And when you add things like chicken and sausage, that's also going to add water to your gumbo and actually thin it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you can't just say when you're just cooking your, your, your stock and your roux and your onions and peppers, you say, oh, it looks a little thick. You know, I wouldn't add water then. I would wait. Wait till you add your, wait till you add your sausage. Wait till you add your chicken and see what your consistency is like then. So it's it's starting off it could be a little bit thick but it may thin out also you know don't don't go too crazy on the heat there's no real reason to put that temperature above you don't want to rolling boil your gumbo there's no need for that you need it on a a high simmer would be like an appropriate temperature for a gumbo you don't need to to rolling boil this gumbo for four hours so just put it on a high highish simmer and then you know just kind of wait to see what the gumbo cooks down to so when that gumbo cooks down you'll be able to uh, kind of judge the thickness of it then. And then you can just add water. You can just add hot water to the gumbo. It's easier to add hot water because if you add cold water, you drop the temperature, and then you got to bring it back up. So if you just have a kettle, you can just add hot water a little bit at a time to get it to your desired thickness. That's a, that's a good point. First of all, there's not many dishes that you have to bring to a rolling boil for a long period of time, no. you know, unless you're doing a seafood boil or something is you're really just simmering things. If you're cooking it the, for a long period of time. The only thing I could think of is like a rolling boil would be like a tonkatsu ramen where you're making that creamy, that's that where you actually want to emulsify the fat in the water with the bones. That's the only thing I can think of, but that's, that's a different topic. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like that idea of, you know, if it's a little thick in the beginning, that's all, that's all right. Cause you can right, fix that right. a little bit later. You want to catch that early, you know, you want to yes, catch that yes. early and, and, you know, make it a little thicker earlier if, if it is. And, and then, you know, kind of thinning it out later if you need to. We're just cooking like the base of the gumbo. We're just trying to get this gumbo juice, as we call it, to be cooked. So how do we tell, how can you tell if that's ready? If your roux is cooked in that juice. I can tell you one thing. This is an absolute fact. A gumbo that foams is not cooked. If there's foam forming on the surface, that gumbo is not cooked. When When it's cooked, you'll notice you'll move from foam stage to the gumbo develops a skin on the top. Once you start developing a skin, that means your gumbo is cooked. That means that roux has, you have made, you have broken down those particles far enough to suspend it in the water and it's now a stable solution because it's, it's Mm -hmm. almost, gumbo is almost impossible to break the emulsion. It takes an extraordinary amount of effort and heat to do that. But, uh, I mean, you, you can't overcook a gumbo. I mean, it would t- you'd have to cook it down to nothing to overcook it. But once you move from a foam stage where it's developing that foam on the top to it develops the skin, that's how you know that gumbo is cooked. How do you tell barbecue brand? That's, that's, your pre- trick? that's, that's pretty your much, trick? that's pretty much what I look for too. And, um, mm-hmm. it just, it just takes time. I know it takes time, you know, it mm-hmm. takes time for those. Uh, those starch molecules to expand, which is what they're doing and for it to stabilize all of that liquid that right, you put exactly. in the pot. That just takes right. time. There's no way, you know, we spoke about this before. There's no way to, to pass that process along no. faster. You just have no. to let it do what it has to do. And the only and, time to have a quick gumbo is to have a little gumbo. Yeah. And Cajuns <laughs> don't know what that is. What is that? A little gumbo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you, but you're 100% right. By reducing the vo- your volume of water is what determines your cook time. So it's mm-hmm. about 50 to 55 minutes an hour per gallon of gumbo. So a three-gallon gumbo takes three hours. A four-gallon gumbo takes about five, four, five. And if you're cooking a huge gumbo, it's going to take forever. So yes. <laughs> it's, yes. it's just what it is. And, and really what it is is the water. When you add, the more water you add, the more heat capacity you add to your gumbo. So a big volume of water takes a lot of heat. It takes a lot mm-hmm. of heat energy to dump 
in uh into that water to break that starch down. You can also take a spoon and if you scoop up your gumbo your gumbo liquid, your gumbo stock, whatever you want to call it, juice, you'll be able to see the actual particles of starch in the gumbo. You can see it. It'll it'll look grainy when you look at it. And that's how you can tell it's not broken down. So you can actually look at your liquid and see, hey look, this I can still see little little like it looks like little brown specks of, of roux. Yep. And if that's not gone, then your gumbo's not cooked. But also your gumbo will be foaming at that point. I can guarantee you that. So, <laughs> right. so yeah. it has to pass the foam stage and move to skin stage to be. And that's what I say when I say skin on the top of the gumbo to develop like a layer that you have to kind of break through and then mix up and it goes away. But I like really, that. I like that from foam to skin. That's what you yeah. got to look for. <laughs> but this right. also brings up another point. So we're talking about roux. What's everybody's opinion on jarred roux? Absolutely fine. Yes. <laughs> there you go. With it. It's just it's just an easier way. It's just a shortcut is all it is. There's nothing right. wrong with it. I mean, don't go the traditional way of cooking roux is, you know, is the best way, I guess. But mm. you know, if you wanna just shortcut it a little bit, which we all have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it all it all it's all about what you feel comfortable with. If you don't yeah. you may you you may feel more comfortable with the process of making a gumbo than you do with making a roux. Exactly. That was me years ago. I didn't feel comfortable making a roux, but I was I was comfortable making the dish from the roux. Right. So I used the jar roux until I, you know, I faked it till I made it. Right, yeah. exactly. But, but guess what? Whenever you make it, make shortcuts because you got other stuff going on in your life. Don't worry about making right. a roux. Right, just, exactly. just jar roux and make you whatever you got to make. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's, sort of like, it's sort of like me at home whenever I'm barbecuing. I have a pellet smoker, but guess what? I learned how to... I learned how to cook barbecue on a stick burner, making a fire from scratch. I have, mm -hmm. I know how to do that. If I have to ever do that at any point in time, mm -hmm. I don't right. feel guilty about going outside and clicking on a, a pellet smoker <laughs> so I can get some food out to these hungry kids. So, yeah. Don't worry it's, about the jar roux. You no, don't got to. The, the biggest advantage of making your own roux is controlling your quality of fat. So if you want a specific flavor from your fat, let's say you're using like a, a you know, like a duck fat or something like that, which would be totally legit way to do a roux, a duck fat roux. But you get to control the fat that you put in there. So if you want to use avocado oil, if you want to use something else, it's a little avocado oil is real light in flavor. It's probably one of the mildest oils around. Or say you yeah. want to use butter, you want a butter flavored roux. There's also I wanted people to think about this. Not all your roux has to be the same. You could use, you could make, let's say, half butter roux and half dark roux and come up with something in between. Yeah. If you want a little bit of that butter flavor, if you want to make a little bit of roux with some animal fat, let's say like some bacon grease or uh, add a little bit of that smoke flavor in there. You could make partially, you can make some of your roux with bacon hey. grease, some of it with oil, and you could mix that, that together. That's like a good idea. Hey, it is. It's, one, it's, one thousand, one thousand percent. I made a smoked... <laughs> A smoked beef tallow, half smoked beef tallow, and avocado oil roux. Yeah. Right, but see, the beef tallow might have been just too much on its own. So it could have been, it could have made the gumbo too right. too rich. So maybe you know, switching up half with another one makes it kind of a blend. So you get to add the animal fat flavor that you want without totally overpowering the dish. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I want to move on to part two because part two is my favorite: your okra gumbo. All that right. okra, yeah. that, that and this okra. Is where, this is where this this is my favorite. This, this is what we where we differ in this household. I'm the okra gumbo gumbo cooker, and Brandon is the roux gumbo cooker. So I prefer okra gumbo because my my stomach doesn't handle the roux very well. So we all, my, yeah. my right. mom always made okra gumbo for me. So I learned how to master that. To where some people didn't even know it was okra; they thought mm. it was a roux gumbo. So, right. and we alternate. So we we will cook roux gumbo one time, and then the next one won't be roux; it'll be okra. So okra, okra is a really now okra is a totally different way of thickening a gumbo. So mm -hmm. with uh with you know with roux gumbo, you're making a colloid, and with uh okra gumbo, you're actually thickening it with uh the the proteins and the okra, the uh, you have two of them. You have soluble fiber, which makes like a gel. And then you have the mucilage, which, which gives okra a slimy texture. But we actually kind of break that out of, out of the okra and cook it down 
to where that's not so prevalent. It's such a controversial subject, okra no, gumbo. It is. Nothing mm. hurts my heart more than seeing some green okra floating in somebody's oh. gumbo. Mm. Or nah. seeing somebody's gumbo with a thin film of slime on the top. No, it's terrible. I, I, oh, nasty you, soup. You cannot put, exactly, you cannot put uncooked okra in a gumbo. You can. It's not going to be good. No, it's but not. But you have to pre-cook okra. And there's different ways of doing that. There's a traditional way of cooking it on the stove or in the oven where you're browning that okra. You're cooking it down. You're cooking it till it's tired, tired, tired. <laughs> but before we do that, what does go in okra gumbo that doesn't go in roux gumbo? Tomatoes. Correct. So That's okra, right. stewed okra has tomatoes in it. One is the acid helps break down that slime. Two, the flavor of okra plus tomatoes is just an awesome flavor combination. It is. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's one of the best things you can eat. It really is awesome. So tomatoes really work with the flavor of okra and that's and that's real important and also another right. thing i'll do when i i just started stewing okra like a month ago so i i tried it for the first time and i did it i i just did i just listened to what my ancestors told me my grandmother was telling me from heaven what to do so you know it's, <laughs> it's just it's just really cooking it slow you know adding enough liquid to break it down and another thing i like to add in okra gumbo is a uh, tomato paste so tomato paste Tomato paste is, is a very different ingredient from a canned tomato. It is because the, the big difference is tomato paste includes tomato skin and it's all ground up together. So it's every part of the tomato is included is ground up. So you get uh, you get the MSG effect from the tomato paste. It's a naturally occurring form of MSG and it gives a little bit of sweetness that helps brown and create some good flavor. So that's right. Mm -hmm. That's we so we talk about that in barbecue all the time. You know, that's mm -hmm. why, you know, for the last episode of uh Barbecue USA, we were talking about, you know, the differences between and the similarities between chefs and pitmasters. All of this stuff kind of coincides with each other. It all mixes over, right? You know, we always mm -hmm. talk about in, in barbecue, the Maillard reaction. So what you're talking about that browning, you know, that's that beautiful flavor that comes through and well, especially in tomatoes. So mm -hmm. it's right. just, it's delicious. And it goes with, think about what ingredients do to, for other ingredients, you know, right? Mm -hmm. So you have your tomatoes that think about what that adds to okra. Okra by on its own is really just sort of like, you know, it's it's a mild flavor. It's almost kind of grassy. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, tomatoes just has that acidity. Earthy. Yeah, mm -hmm. earthy. Mm -hmm. Tomatoes have that acidity, and then it just kind of brings out those sweet flavors the longer yes. you cook mm -hmm. it. Think about how that how much that does for 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 okra. Right. You know, it's right. ingredients go together. It's the second half of Gridiron Gang, not the <laughs> not the first hour of Gridiron Gang. All of the people are <laughs> right. together for these ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and, and and cooking it like the old like traditional way on the stove, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to be there. Work. You're gonna have to restart. Yeah, it, it's work. The 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 more improved way of doing it is in the oven where it's more of an even cooking where you don't have to stir it constantly, you know. It's kind of like cooking roux in the in the in the oven kind of deal. It's, it's, you're right, it's exactly the same process. It's gonna take a long time. It takes about I did a pretty big pot. It takes about three hours and you just set a timer. Every time you, you put it in, you put it at, at uh, 350, you set a timer, 20 minutes, type mm -hmm. it in, come back, stir it, set a timer, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. just keep stirring it like that. And you, you won't burn it in the oven. Now on the stove, we, I have a glass top stove. So okra is a real sticky substance and it really clings to the bottom of the pot. So you really run a very high risk of burning on a glass top. That's the one thing I wouldn't recommend. If you do do it on a glass top stove, you have to make sure you have a big vessel and that you have to make sure that you keep it pretty well hydrated, add a lot of water to it yeah. and use a very, very uh, a low heat. And it's gonna take yeah. a long time. The oven is just easier. It just yeah. takes less time to do in the oven. It's less work. It comes out great. It makes a beautiful product, especially if you're doing it for just gumbo. I mean, it's just, yeah. and hey, if, you, if you're doing okra, you might as well do a lot because right <laughs> yeah you because you're going to well. be you might as well just do a lot do a lot of it and it freezes great if you vacuum mm -hmm. seal it the stuff will last a long time mm -hmm. and freeze it and that's i've never seen my mom cook okra and then make gumbo if she cooked okra she stewed her okra down 
and then she froze it, and then we had gumbo whenever we wanted to. So then she would break right. it out. Now, I've learned in the past couple of years another way of cooking okra that your end result is not going to be the same as doing it traditional way in the oven, kind of sort of. I do it in the crock pot, but what you get is not a finished product. That's the difference. When you do okra the other way, you get a finished product. You can eat it. It tastes great at that point. I mean, once you season it and everything. But in a crock pot, it's not done cooking. It's it's cooked, but it's going to be put into a pot. It's going to continue cooking. So mm -hmm. it's just an easier way. We use frozen cut okra. 40 mm -hmm. ounce bag of frozen cut okra. One cut up onion. One can of diced tomatoes. But I've improved on that because I don't... I don't like to see the tomatoes floating in my gumbo. <laughs> so I use crushed tomatoes instead. Crush. So it just incorporates faster. So you cook that in your crock pot on high for like four to six hours until those seeds are brown. When those seeds are brown, it's ready to go in your pot. Mm -hmm. It's ready to go in your gumbo. It's just easier. And that's how I do it every single time. I see, yes, that method is good for making gumbo. It really is. Uh, I wouldn't make... Uh... Like if I'm making like stewed okra to eat by itself, I wouldn't use that method. It's, no, uh, it's not going to taste the same. It's no. not caramelized. Right, right. It's it's really like when you think of a crock pot, it's not an evaporative cooking method. So when you cook in an oven, you're driving water out. Mm -hmm. So you as you drive water out, you intensify flavor. The crock pot works a little bit different because it's held below the boiling point of water. So you more, you condense water into it and you don't evaporate it out. So mm -hmm. pretty much mm -hmm. your thermal mass, your, your amount of food pretty much stays the same. Whereas when you cook in the oven, you're driving water out to concentrate flavor. So right. I think, I think, but for, for making gumbo, the crock pot's a great way to do it. Right. Yeah. It, it works very well and it, it freezes well too. So it does. Um, and, and there's no difference between for, I mean, it's hard to get fresh okra. Definitely. Bless my little, bless my little Cajun soul. I would prefer fresh okra. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, you know, I read, it, I read recently that I haven't tested this out myself, but I read that if you get fresh okra, uh, you want to wait until the like the very last minute, like right before you cook it to wash it, because yeah. that that'll mm -hmm. make it. You know, if you wash it ahead of time, it'll make it even even slimier. Yeah. Right. So. Oh yeah. So, but. Frozen cut okra is just as good. It's much easier. You just throw that in the pot and whatever. Yeah. Be done. It, it, it does. Frozen okra does break down a little more because being frozen, it means the cell walls of the the material have already been damaged by ice crystals. So it's going to break down. But for making gumbo, it really doesn't matter. You cook okra down so much, it's going to be broken down anyway. And and another trick of doing like a stewed okra is you have to, you have to acidify it. Tomatoes work too, but I also add vinegar to mine, a little bit of vinegar, maybe a couple of tablespoons of vinegar. And just to bring that pH down so that it break mm -hmm. that makes breaking down the slime easier. It's like breaking down anything, breaking down meat. Uh, add a little bit, changing the acidity of it actually makes the breaking down process go faster. So having mm -hmm. a lower pH that's being more acidic uh, makes, makes the breakdown of those things faster. So that way you can break your slime. So. Right, you, you know, right. It's, slimy it's, gumbo is a sin. It's it's awful. There's no slimy no. gumbo made in Louisiana. That's no total myth. Anybody that says it, I don't care if it's anybody. Food Network, a slimy gumbo is wrong, one hundred percent. We we don't do it. Nobody wants that. No, 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 no one. <laughs> Maybe people in Texas. I've I've come across somebody that said, well, "Why isn't your gumbo slimy? Because mm. it's cooked." Because it's not supposed to be. Well, it's more more than likely they've had a gumbo from somebody that didn't know how to cook gumbo. Right. So no, you know, when you get didn't we talk about it? Didn't we talk about exposure bias and palate bias? Exposure you know, if you've bias, only had absolutely. bad food, if you've only I, had bad food, then that's all you know. Then for Louisiana people, <laughs> I tell you, there is a you if you mess something up, it's going to take you decades to live that down. I'm telling you, it's like, oh, you, oh, you know him. You will be if you cook slimy gumbo one time, you'll be the slimy gumbo cook for the probably the next three or four presidential presidents. That'll that'll be. <laughs> you can think about that about 16 years, four presidents to get that <laughs> that, that that reputation, and you're gonna soon, have to cook a lot a lot of good gumbo in between that. It's right. just, as soon as you walk in the door, oh, that's old slime ball right there. <laughs> right, right. 
Unless exactly. you're trying to get out of doing the gumbo. If that's your right. chore, if you've been given that job, if you want to get out of that job, there you go. There's your yeah. <laughs> I could tell you if you don't love if you don't love cooking gumbo, don't cook it. No. I love no. cooking gumbo. It's it's a process, but part of the enjoyment of cooking gumbo is the process itself. I mean, like I have to take all these ingredients. I have to use it right. I have to do it right. I have to cook it a long time. I have to, you know, pick flavors that balance out and, and do all these things to make it right. And when you make it right and it, it, you know, you hit it and it's absolutely perfect with the way you, what you want it to produce is a great feeling. So if you right. don't love the process, don't cook them. Right. <laughs> but it is a process. So going back to um, okra and it's cook time. So obviously, since you're not having to break down a lot of the fat and stuff like you would normally mm -hmm. for like a roux, your your cook time for your, your stock, your gumbo juice is not going to be nearly as long nope. as for a roux. It comes together That's, in about an hour. Yeah, it's really quick. Some people do put a little bit of roux in their okra mm -hmm. gumbo, but Correct. just a little bit for a little, it's just about, all about preference. Um, <laughs> But moving along with that, let me ask y'all a question. When it comes to adding your proteins to your gumbo, what do you do? You pre-season your protein, or do you season everything together? Your everything, you know, cook down everything. Tell me what y'all do. Barbecue brand, you put your sausage in first. What? Tell me what you do. Well, first of all, when we're talking about seasoning, I always. I mean, I don't season my sausage. The sausage is, is what the sausage mm -hmm. is, you know. But, you know, let's say, we, let's say we're talking about a chicken and sausage gumbo. Mm -hmm. I'm going to season my chicken ahead of time. Right. I, I just can't. Mm -hmm. Nothing in me can put meat in something else without it being seasoned. Like, it just yeah. has to be seasoned first. But I don't put my chicken in, you know, it all depends on how I feel. A lot of times I'll, I'll make my chicken, the chicken that's going in my gumbo, because I may have a stock. I may make a homemade stock, right? Chicken mm -hmm. stock. That's why. You know? Yeah, it is. So that stock is going in my gumbo, but my chicken that I'm putting into the gumbo that, that you're going to eat, that, mm -hmm. that I don't want that going in until much later because mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't like shredded chicken in my gumbo. Some people may Maybe like that. Eyes. I don't. Yeah. I'd Not rather have thing. pieces of chicken. So yeah, right. so the chicken is going to go in later so it doesn't turn into like a just, you know, shredded mess. You know, sausage usually goes in a little bit later, but not too late because I like it to, mm -hmm. depending on what sausage I'm using, I like for it to kind of flavor the, the gumbo right, as well. Right, right. You know? So do you pre-cook your chicken or do you season your chicken and drop it in? I mean, it's, I, me? it works either way. It. I'll pre-cook yeah. it. I'm a pre-cook pre it too. a little bit. Yeah. I am too. And I pour yeah. all the drippings oh all that going no, out. Don't, don't skip that out that's mm -mm. that's the good stuff oh yeah turn that upside down all of them drippings right? oh you don't waste that where, what you gonna where you gonna put it you gonna put it in the drain in the, in the garbage no, no don't waste no don't do that don't waste that no. so that, that's, yeah so that's a good point the the real important thing though is you really got to know your ingredients. Like you're always going to need to. So let's say you, you start your gumbo. You're going to need a base layer of seasoning. Like when you stew okra, you're going to have to season it. You cannot leave that unseasoned. Mm -hmm. It has to be seasoned. I'm not right. saying not highly seasoned, but seasoned enough to where you can taste the flavor of it. Then you'll add that into your gumbo. And then you'll add the seasoning so you can to your stock a little bit at a time. So you mm -hmm. taste it. Now, the real trick is the sausage. Once you add the the sausage is going to dump a lot of salt into the water. Because yep. you cook the sausage for a long time, pretty a long time. So that can add a lot of salt to your gumbo. So my thing is when I, you know, kind of know your product, know how salty your sausage is, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and and so once you know that, you know, you put your sausage in, then you'll start tasting it and you'll see the seasoning. And I just, but I do season my chicken. It doesn't require a heavy seasoning like I'm serving chicken by itself. But I do put a good bit of seasoning on it. And that's going to then bake it and then chop it up and add it in. I use boneless skinless chicken thighs because that's my favorite. So you, you really, you really want to add. Thighs. Yeah. So, but normally I'm making a homemade stock. People say it's. The shirt. Yeah. Thighs. Oh yeah. Right. That's right. But, uh, so I'm, I have a homemade stock. So my, uh. So I don't, I don't need the, I don't need the bones of the chicken to make the stock. So usually my stock is homemade, so it's got enough gelatin in it to make it as give them the the, uh, the texture that I want. But the sausage, sausage brings up another good point though, because when you're talking about sausage, 
you need to know the smoke profile of your sausage is really, really important. Oh, because yes. some things that absolutely do not fit in mesquite smoked sausage, never put that in any Cajun dish ever. It just doesn't fit the profile. It's too bitter. It's too intense and it just wipes everything out. Yeah. So you want to go for a, like most, most Cajun sausages are pretty mildly smoked and most of them are smoked over either over pecan or either over oak. That's generally the only things. It's usually the pecan for the flavor, the oak for the heat. So, you yeah. know, you can get a nice fire with oak that's not going to have a lot of super strong flavor. And oak and pecan are a pretty excellent mix of sausage. So I would try to go with a pecan smoked sausage or any oak smoked sausage. But uh, hickory can be done, but you got to be careful with it. You have to be real careful with hickory. Yeah, Because hickory um... is related to pecan. Yeah, I have. Uh, so we have locally Rabbitohs, which is a, mm -hmm. a heavy. It's probably the heaviest smoked sausage I've had in a store. Um, <laughs> it's it's um, but it's not. I don't think it's smoked with mesquite. It's just no, heavily. It's, it's just heavily it's, smoked. It's, I really like it with certain things and maybe not so much other things. So like in white beans, you know, I feel like white beans need a little bit extra help whenever you're cooking. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's it's Rabbitohs is a good sausage. I believe they use pecan and oak uh, as their primary uh, smoking woods. Uh, there is a smokier small sausage. It's uh, what is it? Lejeune's. Lejeune's. Lejeune's is is super smoky. It's it's mm. in fact uh, you got to be real careful with it because if you use all Lejeune's sausage, it might be a little too smoky. So yeah. mm -hmm. when you think about the smoke profile of your sausage, think about it in balance too. Mm -hmm. so a good, like a standard, just Cajun smoked pork sausage is not super smoky. So that's really kind of, you want to have like kind of a mix of it. So you don't want to put too full, much smoke in. Full disclaimer though, all of these sausages that we're talking about are absolutely phenomenal. They delicious. are, they are 100%. preference, but they're delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is personal preference. I find that smokier sausages do better with okra gumbo. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. I can yeah. see that. Mm -hmm. Like in the steak and okra gumbo, which is another thing we're going to talk oh, about that's, later. That's, that's a that's a and, whole different mm -hmm. ball game right there. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorites. Steak and okra gumbo. You we use Robert. I mean uh, Lejeune sausage in it, but mm -hmm. like normal gumbo. We use uh, Rabados. Yeah, we use some Lejeunes, and but mostly Rabados are this other mm -hmm. place we have local to uh, Broussard. Bios is a good. Bios and Broussard. Yeah. Nice, Excellent. nice, nice, good, nice, good. Very simple sausage, and it, you know, if you can't find a good Cajun sausage, if you go with a really simply seasoned sausage, like just a salt, pepper, garlic with a pecan smoke on it. That's that's excellent for gumbo. I what what I really like about. Uh, Louisiana sausage is the texture mm -hmm. because it's it's mm -hmm. a coarser ground sausage right. and it's not an emulsified sausage like you think like Hillshire Farm is an emulsified sausage so you're basically right. grinding that into paste emulsifying the fat into the meat and making like a a meat paste but yeah. that's not the best texture for gumbo you want a you want a coarse ground sausage for gumbo mm -hmm. you put them Vienna sausage in your gumbo no hell uh... no take away my Louisiana car you can you can you can Hold on. Put me out to dry with that. No, time out. No. Who do, wait, no. Who do that? You Somebody no. do that? No. Oh, no. Better not. But that brings up a good point. There's a, there's a, there's a flavoring, there's a flavoring in sausage. You gotta put the juice out. Oh. Oh, my stomach bubbling. So, uh, there's a flavoring in sausage, uh, like some, uh, Eastern European sausages, some German sausage. It's caraway. Caraway seeds are in RNC oh. sausage. That flavor mm. profile doesn't really fit with gumbo. Although you mm -hmm. can find like I there are some like I'm lucky enough to where I have a Polish uh, a Polish uh, store real close to my house, and they make their own smoked sausages. And some of those actually would fit in a gumbo because they're just mm -hmm. very simple. It's just salt, pepper, garlic, smoke, and some mm -hmm. paprika. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like I make it's my, nothing my... nothing complicated, and they and they do have a nice grind on their sausages, a nice medium to coarse ground. It's not that pasty sausage that I really generally don't like. So yeah, right. but see when when I make my sausage at home, it's just it's most of the time it's single or double ground, and it's mm -hmm. never more than that. It's just uh, it's it's coarse, you know. It's right. That, that's a good smoked sausage. That's what you should use. Now, yeah. and you brought up a good point, B, is that it, you really have to just sit back and think. Whenever you're making a dish, especially mm -hmm. gumbo, just sit back and think. 
what ingredients do I have that are going into this dish? Because I'm not, gumbo is not something that we're just, I spoke about before, a free, a freezer dump. No, we're not no, just, no, no. We're no. not just throwing things in a pot no. and hoping everything comes out tasting no. good. We it's, know exactly what each ingredient does for itself and each yep. other. Right. right. And if you haven't tasted that sausage by itself without putting it in a gumbo, please do not add it. Don't do because, it. Because I mean, you could you could you could put this. Oh, I bought this sausage, not taste it, throw it in there, and it wrecks your gumbo. It has a flavor profile that you don't like. Yeah. So no. th that's that's the thing about smoke. Make sure that smoke fits, and that mm -hmm. you're not putting so much smoke into the gumbo that it overpowers it. Because uh, Casey made a good point: why that smokier sausage works better in okra. Because okra gumbo at its base is not bitter, and rue gumbo is bitter at its base. That's right. That's so when right. You do a, That's an you, excellent point. It is. So when you use rue gumbo, you're putting bitter on bitter. When you do okra, you're using a nice, it's got like this, okra has this real earthy vegetable flavor, mm -hmm. and that really goes well with the smoked sausage. One of my favorite gumbos of all time is one of the simplest, okra, smoked sausage, and shrimp. I oh. mean, that is hard to beat. That is one of the best gumbos you can make. And that beef and okra gumbo is neck and neck with that one. So B, B you man, that you just hit a, you just hit the gold mine of information right there because so many times we taste things and we mm -hmm. know that we like it or we know that we don't like it, but we don't know why. No why. We right. don't know the, the what, what is making it what is making this taste good to me? Right. When you start to understand flavors and when you start to understand ingredients and what it's doing to your dish, then you can start to understand why right. something tastes good. Then you exactly. start making better food. Right. Exactly. And, the, and bitterness is important because the thing about why rue gumbo is the bitterness works is because it amplifies all the meat flavors and it makes it super savory. So that bitterness is actually what makes it savory, that mild bitterness of the root, the nutty flavor of the root. That is to amplify meat flavors. That's why I say you can't make a root-based gumbo that's not meat-based. It's it's almost not, it's it's got to be meat or seafood. A a a, a vegetarian root gumbo makes zero sense. None. <laughs> there, there's nothing there's nothing for there to build on. The the root is meant to amplify the meat flavor. So the meat flavor comes through the root. So that bitterness is important, but when you start stacking smoke, which is a bitter flavor, which also why makes barbecue super savory because the smoke flavor is the bitterness. Mm -hmm. It makes it savory. But right. when you stack bitter on bitter, then you starting get to get it's starting to get too much. It's overwhelming mm -hmm. your palate and it's making everything else get lost. So you'll start losing like your deli if you're doing chicken and sausage with over a gumbo that's too smoky, you'll lose that delicate poultry flavor that really need you really want. Because chicken and sausage is really a playoff of two flavors. The sausage, mm -hmm. they, they balance each other out, amplify each other. But if you're doing bitter on bitter, then you're just you're just overwhelming everything else. You're not going to taste every anything else. All you're going to taste is is smoke. You know, and I've right. I've done that. That's personally personally a mistake I have made. I have made yeah. a gumbo where I used too much smoked sausage and it didn't come out bad. But I'm like, this is just not the type of gumbo I like to make. And this is all about your personal preference and what kind of flavors you like to bring forward. So, and the darker your roux is, the more bitter it tastes. So, but that okra, okra with a deep smoke sausage is perfect because that earthy mm -hmm. okra and the tomato brightness, that really plays off that deep smoke flavor. And that's, that's what I, that's one I really like. So I really love okra gumbo. I can, I, honestly, I can, I can't pick one over the other. I like to alternate. Like, rue gumbo is just real heavy on the stomach, and okra gumbo is a lot lighter. So I, I tend to prefer. I tend to like the okra gumbo if I, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm just overloaded with gumbo. So, but uh, okra gumbo is it's just a lighter gumbo, and rue is a little heavier, but they're both delicious, and I do love both of them. Talking about flavors, okay, let's let's have a quick recap of what seasonings go in gumbo. Like, oh, that's a, this is this a complicated one, <laughs> but let's go. Let's go for it. All right, B. Tell me, tell me what you put when you seasoning. Let's say, let's just go simple. Let's just chicken and sausage here. Tell me how you're gonna season this. I want to piggyback off of yours, so go okay. go okay. ahead because you got a good, go you got a, you have a good point. Key key, key ingredients. Like I, I want people to think of it like this: if Tony Saturies evaporated off the face of the earth. 
Would you be able to season your gumbo with with the basic ingredients? The basic Cajun seasoning is very simple. It's salt, pepper, salt, black pepper, garlic, uh, onion powder, paprika, a little bit of herbs, thyme, oregano, or margarine. That's kind of like the basis. So those those are kind of your bases of flavor. So for a chicken and sausage gumbo, uh, I like to add uh, like a, just a regular Cajun style seasoning, you know, salt, pepper, gar red pepper, garlic, cayenne pepper is super important in Cajun seasoning. Uh, and then the herbs is I use poultry seasoning. I use uh, Chef Paul Brudhomme's poultry magic. That's a great seasoning. It's got things in there that you think wouldn't fit. That's got spices. I can guarantee it's got rosemary. It's got marjoram. It's got sage. It's probably got a little bit of nutmeg in it. And you think it wouldn't work, but it does. And it's it's really there to amplify the chicken flavor. So what what I, what I really want people to understand is that what's the basis of Cajun seasoning? You know, salt. So I can tell you, salt, black pepper, red pepper, and garlic is gets you really really far. And you mm -hmm. just need a little bit of like that thyme and marjoram or oregano just to give it a little bit of herbal note to it to kind of elevate it. Yep. For for chicken. For chi for seafood, yeah, for chicken. <laughs> yeah, for seafood. Right. Seafood, I wouldn't use poultry seasoning for seafood. For seafood gumbo, I'd use I'd use a Cajun seasoning, maybe a little bit of oregano and a little bit of uh margarine, yeah. and a little bit of thyme. Mm -hmm. And I just yeah. have to say, thanks Dave. Yes, yes. Dave against the machine. Our... <laughs> we had to, I had to throw that in there. Thanks, Dave. Well, that, that's a good, that brings up a good point because I went to my friend's house, uh, Dave, and he made a chicken and sausage gumbo that was just, I mean, it was hitting hard, slamming. And <laughs> I, tasted, I tasted it and I was like, and my first thought was, this is better than mine. What did you do to this? And the only thing, the only difference in our cook was he added poultry seasoning to his gumbo and I didn't. And also parsley, fresh parsley at the end of the gumbo, fresh parsley and green onion. When you finish your gumbo, you add those in and it just lifts it up. But he added, he added poultry seasoning and fresh parsley. And man, talk about elevates your gumbo. That's why I wanted you to go first. What did we <laughs> talk about earlier? Ingredients that you may not think that you like or that you don't know why you like something but you like it exactly <laughs> all of those ingredients help each other they do something for 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 the other ingredient one ingredient helps the second ingredient and then all of those right. ingredients help the dish as a whole right so it's a big old I, party it's a big old it's, party and everybody's loving each other right so it's, it's, it's just yeah. well maybe oh yeah. pause but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> i see somebody, you just caught on <laughs> Yeah, I caught on. I was trying to hold it back. <laughs> <laughs> That's that kind of party. Oh, Cajun seasoning. I'm done. Mm. Right. And and also think people think like, well, isn't it weird to add something with rosemary to a gumbo? Well, but you have to think about it. I'm not using much. And I'm also using that in concert with other things that help yeah. balance that flavor out. So that 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 rosemary that's in poultry seasoning is going to be really balanced out by everything else. It's not going to be very distinct, but it's going to elevate that. It's going to give some brightness to a dish that really doesn't have any much brightness to it. I mean, gumbo is a very very deep savory uh, dish. It's it's perhaps one of the most savory dishes I've ever had in my life. You don't get mm -hmm. much more savory than that. That's pretty much its own. It's all its notes are all on the savory end. So you need that little bit of herbal to, to lift it up to where it kind of lightens it up on your palate. And it's not just so, just a real heavy fever that just keeps saturating your palate with just smoke and salt and a little mm -hmm. bit of heat. So it, it helps, it helps lift it up. So you'd mm -hmm. think, man, something with rosemary is a little bit odd to add into gumbo, but not if you taste it. And it's all about how much you add when you add it. And you know, and your 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 usage of it. That, so that's something that we're going to cover in a later episode too. Is right, balance. We need to dive a little bit deeper into balance because we've always heard this word. What does it mean? What does it mean that a dish is balanced? You know, so we're going right. to cover that. We're going to cover how ingredients help each other, and then pairings. You know, yes. uh, all of those yep. different things. But I hope that you you all that are listening were able to get a little bit of information from everything that we talked about today. You know, I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. So. Right, right. <laughs> there you go. And we'll also be, we'll so, also be doing like a finishing episode on gumbo on these, on these two basic concepts, okra and root. We got to talk about stock. We got to talk about 
you know, seasoning, when to add your proteins and things like that. <laughs> so we'll be finishing this up. This was really about the two bases of gumbo, roux base, okra base, and right. kind of some other things with it. Tomatoes do belong in some gumbos. And also, yes, this is true. And also don't skip your celery in your gumbo and your, and, and your trinity. Don't mm -hmm. skip that. Celery is really important in gumbo. And if you don't like celery, I can guarantee it. If you chop it real fine and cook it for four hours, you're going to struggle to, to find that distinct flavor. But the amount that it'll elevate your dish is really, really important. It's, it's really a great flavor. And especially since we're talking about like, especially like a roux base gumbo, the celery is something that really amplifies meat flavors and gumbo being a meat based dish really mm -hmm. needs that. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. with that being said, I'm going to give our little end quote here. This is coming from James Beard. The secret of good cooking is first having a love of it. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. This has been Stirring the Pod podcast, episode number three. Number and three. We'll see you guys next time. All right, y'all have a good rest of your day. And please, if you uh, please like, comment, and subscribe, and let us know if you have any questions. Absolutely. Hashtag love and hashtag thighs. <laughs> See y'all later. Peace. Later. <laughs>